Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Mike Vicara takes over now. He is in for Blake Berman. Uh, The Hill is starting right now. Mike. Well, thanks a lot. Very good to see you, of course, Brian. And welcome to The Hill, everyone. It's a document drop. Names of people associated with the notorious sex offender Jeffrey Epstein about to see the light of day. We have a team of journalists standing by to comb through those releases. Then, seeing is believing. Migrants crossing the Rio Grande in full view of some 60 House Republicans. The lawmakers there to shine a light on the escalating crisis on our southern border. We talked to a House Republican who was there. And is border is a border deal bad politics? Back in Washington, White House and Senate negotiators worked to hammer out what would be an historic immigration deal. But can it happen in an election year? We'll get real with the panel. Plus, Nikki Haley in the crosshairs. Both Ron DeSantis and former President Trump go on the attack less than two weeks before the pivotal Iowa caucuses. And New Jersey Democrat Bob Menendez sinks deeper into hot water, accused of taking more lavish gifts from a wealthy Gulf kingdom. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Mike Vicara, filling in for Blake Berman, and I am joined by none other than Bob Cusack, editor-in-chief of The Hill, Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official, Dan Cannonan, former Obama campaign official, and of course, Mick Mulvaney, a former Trump White House acting chief of staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. Okay, The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Let's turn to the border right away. House Speaker Mike Johnson and a group of 60 Republicans were touring the border area this afternoon, and they saw the issue firsthand, witnessing a group of migrants crossing the river right in front of them. Today, we got a firsthand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. The situation here and across the country is truly unconscionable. We would describe it as both heartbreaking and infuriating. This all comes as December set a record for migrant encounters. More than 302,000 migrants, both illegally and legally, crossed the southern border last month, stretching border officials to the limit. Panel, what is going to be accomplished by this trip? Five dozen Republicans on the border shining a light on what everybody agrees now is a crisis. Bob, what are the prospects now for movement in Congress? Well, House Republicans, when we've had these fiscal showdowns before, like when they wanted to get rid of Obamacare, they were, you knew they were going to cave, and they did. On the border, I don't think they're going to cave. They've got public opinion on their side. I think this is a good, Democrats would call it a PR stunt, 
But this is a situation where the White House, I think, would be wise to have an agreement and might help them in Biden's reelection. Dan, uh, I'm sorry, Ashley, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I think, Dan, you've said this before. I mean, the Republicans have actually, if there's, it's a sad thing to say, but they've kind of won on this issue. I mean, they, I agree with you, they do not need to cave. But what what I want to point out from a national security perspective is there's 300,000 that came over last month that we know of. How many that we don't know of? And a lot of these people, and I say it every time I'm on here, are not friends of ours or not just people looking for a better life that actually want to hurt us. The getaways. We don't know where they are. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what their goal is in coming here. Dan, have Republicans already won, won, as Ashley said? Well, I'm struck by the deal itself and what has to happen now in Congress to, to deal with the border, that for months and months, weeks and weeks, we've talked about this issue, we've seen these videos, these images, we've understood the need to be judges, security, asylum officers, action on the border, and for months and months, the Biden administration has had $14 billion on the table to do just that. And I want to make a point about this, yeah. because sometimes I bring up the asylum stuff, and that gets written off, but there's a backlog of 40,000 asylum seekers. They stay in the country while they deal with that case for three or four or five years. The best way to deal with the folks in the country who should not be there is to get the border under right. control, and Congress could do that if they would take up the Right, everybody's got something they say the other side isn't doing. H.R. 2, the immigration bill in the House. The Biden administration has a proposal to spend more money on judges, on enforcement. Uh, the Senate is working on their own deal with the White House, and they're saying that the other side is ignoring them. Mick, I want to ask you, you used to have a member pin. You used to wear it on your lapel. <laughs> You've been on some of these trips. Uh, what's the goal here? I mean, is it just a photo op, a dog and pony show down there? Yes, but this is the this is a good type of PR stunt to use the Democrats' language because it it they're winning on this issue. They're absolutely right. The more people talk about the border, the more Republicans are going to do well because that's one of their issues. Democrats do really well when the national narrative is about health care. Republicans do really well when it's about the border. To the idea about the the, the, the easy response from any Republican to what you just said, Dan, Mm -hmm. is this. Okay, the White House has $14 billion. That's great. What has the Democrat Senate done about that? Zero. The only entity in this town that has done anything on border security are the Republicans in the House. Like it, don't like it, I get that. But at least they have passed a bill. Yeah. The, the, the Senate, controlled by the same party as the White House, has not. And I think that's a fair point for Republicans to be making. Okay, not yet anyway. All right, so we're going to come back to this a little bit later in the show. But right now, I want to go to uh, Congressman Representative Mike Lawler, who was part of that Republican delegation visiting the border. And he joins us now from the area around Eagle Pass, Texas. Uh, Representative Lawler, Lawler, thanks very much for being here. I wanna, I'm going to read you something the White House said in response to your trip down there along with your colleagues. They said, instead of joining the Biden administration to find common ground, Speaker Johnson is continuing to block President Biden's proposed funding to hire thousands of new border agents. Are Republicans really blocking border security as the White House would have it? That's such a joke, uh, and frankly, uh, beneath the White House to put out a statement like that. Uh, The reality is this. House Republicans are the only ones that have done anything on border security this year. We passed H.R. 2 seven months ago, the strongest border security measure in the history of Congress. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader from New York, my home state, has failed to do anything on border security uh, in seven months since we passed H.R. 2. Uh, So the failure here is on the part of the administration. Uh, whose policies have exacerbated the crisis. Uh, Since Joe Biden took office, nearly 10 million migrants have crossed our southern border, most of them illegally. Uh, 90% of those that are detained are released into the United States. This is a crisis of their own making, uh, and it is a dereliction of duty 
on the part of Joe Biden, Secretary Mayorkas, and frankly, Chuck yeah. Schumer uh, as the uh, Senate Majority Leader. Uh, Congressman, I, I want to just get back to the basic here, the fundamental fact of your trip. What did you see down there that surprised you? What did you see down there that's going to influence whatever you end up voting on, if you end up having another vote on immigration in Congress? Well, just as we were touring the Rio Grande, we saw about 10 to 12 uh, migrants from Venezuela uh, crossing the border illegally. Uh, they were detained. They're going to be processed and likely released uh, based on the percentages that we learned this morning from Customs and Border Patrol agents, where about 90 percent of those processed are released into the United States. Uh -huh. uh, in addition, we saw a family, a, a, a husband and wife seemingly, and two young children uh, crossing the Rio Grande uh, as we were doing a press conference. And so, you know, we saw firsthand what is happening here. Uh, obviously, just last week at Eagle Pass, uh, you had thousands crossing over. Uh, the, the facility that we toured today was processing 6,000 uh, yeah. at one time. It's only built to handle about 1,000. So this is a real crisis uh, that needs to be addressed, uh, and the administration needs to take it seriously. Uh, and the negotiations have to be in good faith. Uh, yeah. The Senate uh, negotiations uh, seemingly are half-hearted and mealy-mouthed at best. We need yeah. serious border security uh, and, and they need to negotiate with House Republicans. Uh, uh, okay, Congressman, on, on that issue, uh, our colleagues at The Hill reported today, Republicans want to avoid a clash with Trump on border security deal. We're obviously now officially on January 4th in an election year. Uh, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, uh, the politics of the election year, you know, there are going to be people who say anything that's, any deal that is struck in the Congress is going to be seen as a victory for the president and therefore bad for Republicans and the leader of their party. In President Trump. Do you think that factors in? Look, this is about the country, the, the security and the sovereignty of our country. Uh, as a representative from New York, uh, where you know New York has failed sanctuary city policies, the, the right to shelter, the refusal to cooperate with ICE, uh, I'm focused on solving the crisis here. Uh, the politics of 24 uh, will play itself out. But this yeah. is about dealing with a very serious crisis right now at our southern border. Nearly 10 million migrants have crossed our southern border uh, since Joe Biden took office. Joe Biden has failed uh, on this issue uh, miserably. Uh, it, it is at his feet uh, that we are dealing with this crisis. So uh, ultimately, you know, Congress has a responsibility to act. The White House has a responsibility to act. Uh, I'm not kicking the can down the road. We passed H.R. 2 right. back in May of this year. The responsibility now is on the White House and the Senate Democrats to do something All right. about it. All right. Congressman, Representative Lawler, thank you very much for joining us from Eagle Pass, Texas. I appreciate it. Thank you. And joining us now is Blas Nunez Neto. He is the Assistant Homeland Security Secretary for Border and immigration policy. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. There's a group of some 60 Republicans on the border right now as we speak, led by the Republican Speaker of the House, who is calling for the administration to, quote, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens. Is that a good idea? And if not, why not? Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on uh, your show today. I really do hope that 
are Republican members of Congress who are going to be seeing firsthand the incredible work that the men and women on the front lines are doing every day as they deal with our broken immigration system and address the challenges we've been facing on our border, uh, and that they will be motivated to come back to D.C. and work across the aisle on a bipartisan basis to once and for all uh, update uh, our broken statutes. There's a bipartisan effort uh, underway in the U.S. Senate that uh, I believe is very encouraging and, again, hoping that our House Republicans, when they return to D.C., will uh, take up and pass the emergency supplemental funding request that we've put forward to support the men and women on the front lines and also uh-huh. update our immigration statutes. Well, the Speaker of the House says that the president can act without congressional action, that he can simply sign executive orders to effectively close the border, reinstitute the policies of the previous administration, like remain in Mexico, or effectively uh, reinstitute what, what was known as Title 42. Is that a good idea? Well, look, we are not a dictatorship in this country. There are limits to what any president can do with for their own executive authorities. We have already taken a series of steps using our executive authorities, as have the previous two presidents of both political parties. Uh, But those executive actions have not been enough for any of the previous presidents, and they have invited uh, the courts to step in and uh, often rule from different directions on the same issue in ways that are just... Uh, not helpful. And so at the end of the day, we are committed to using our executive authorities, and we already have. We've put commonplace conditions on asylum eligibility at the border. We've removed more than 460,000 people since May 12th, which is a record. Uh, That said, we uh, appreciate and recognize that there is no lasting solution that does not involve the U.S. Congress stepping in. Uh, Mr. Secretary, speaking of a record, we understand that December uh, did set a record for the number of people trying to enter the country. Uh, It's across the aisle now. Both Republicans and Democrats are terming this a crisis. They had been reluctant, at least Democrats had been reluctant to use that uh, terminology. Um, What can you say about what's happening now on the border and especially with regard to some of these checkpoints that have been overwhelmed and closed over the last couple of days? Well, first and foremost, I think we have to acknowledge that this is not just an issue on our border. There are more people displaced today than at any point in the history of the world since World War II, all over the world and in our hemisphere. Uh, And again, the scale of the movement of people worldwide is unprecedented, and that includes obviously uh, our border. Uh, We have taken, uh, again, a series of steps uh, with our executive authorities to address uh, this unprecedented migratory challenge all over the region. And that includes coordinated actions with the government of Mexico. Uh, As we announced yesterday, we are reopening four ports of entry that have been closed uh, tomorrow. Uh, And that is in response to a decrease in encounters over uh, the last two weeks. Okay, mayors from Chicago, New York, and Denver, uh, while they're criticizing Governor Abbott in Texas, Mayor Adams in New York in particular says he's not communicating with the White House, and he says it baffles him. Are you doing enough to coordinate, to work with these mayors, Democrats from America's big cities, that are seeing this influx of buses coming loaded with migrants and disgorging migrants into into their cities? We coordinate with our state local uh, partners every day all over the country. And again, uh, you know, always ask that our uh, state and local officials coordinate any actions they are taking with us and with other 
uh, states and local leaders. Unfortunately, you know, the politics of this immigration challenge uh, have been toxic in the past, and we've seen too many political leaders just playing pure politics. We need a bipartisan solution here. We need our elected officials to come together across the aisle and work together because this is a shared challenge that neither political party can solve on its own. All right. Secretary Blas Nunez Neto, thank you very much for joining us and Happy New Year to you, sir. Okay, while Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is dealing with the border surge, he finds himself in the crosshairs of House Republicans. Homeland Security Chairman Mark Green says his panel is beginning the process of impeaching Mayorkas. The greatest domestic threat to the national security and the safety of the American people is Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, there's Chairman Green down on the border with uh, Speaker Johnson and 59 other members. Is, uh, is Alejandro Mayorkas the greatest threat to American security, as Chairman Green would have it? No. 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 <laughs> I mean, this is, these are President Biden's policies, not his. And also, I think that, and sorry, Mick, I mean, I, impeachment as a political weapon is happening more and more and more. Why are you like, apologizing to me? I, I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with it or not. Sorry. Yeah. You're a former member. Too. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just but it's think a way it's, of keeping, I mean, politics, no, it's a way it's a of keeping poli- it on the front burner. Move, the press course. is going to cover an impeachment proceeding. The Senate is not going to convict him. Uh, according to the rules of impeachment. What's going on here, Bob? Can I just say one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The only (laughs) thing that concerns me is you're taking the eye off of Biden and blaming it on Biden by blaming it on the Secretary of Homeland Security. So Mayorka just takes the fire. I mean, how are they going to get a deal? Like, they're going to have to have some deal on the border, as I said earlier. And then are they going to say to Mayorka, well... Congratulations. Shake on the deal. We're going to impeach you next month. Why are they going to have to have some deal? I mean, they're not going to. I mean, well, they're not, Mike. That's that's the point. They don't want a deal. They want the politics. The images are great for them. And Mick is right. They're better off with this being a huge crisis. If you call the secretary of Homeland Security a guy you got to impeach, if you call immigrants poisoning the blood of America, if you call them all, you know, get frothy with your base, that's not the conditions to get a political deal. Joe Biden has done more bipartisan deals than any president before him. He'll make a deal. They don't want one. Okay, so I started covering covering Congress uh, right before the first Clinton impeachment. We've seen a couple impeachments from them. Is the word impeachment, which which used to, you know, be cataclysmic, I mean, a last resort that was do not break in glass unless of an emergency. Member and then also a member of a White House administration team, right? This drives me nuts, okay? Because this is supposed to be really, really serious. Yeah. And, and when they did it to us, we said they were politicizing the process. And now we're doing it to them. If the guy has committed a high crime or misdemeanor, that's fine. Yeah. Do I think he's really good at the job? No, I think he's horrible at the job and should be replaced. But it's not his fault. It's the guy who put in there is Joe Biden, and the way you replace him is through an election. This is this is demeaning the process of impeachment. And I, I get the politics of the border generally. I think this can actually backfire on you because people think you are distracting from what's really important, mm-hmm. which is what policies would fix yeah. this. The Republicans can win on that. They don't need to impeach Mayorkas to win this argument. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to turn now to a story with major developments that could, could come at any minute. Court documents with what were up until now hidden names of people associated with notorious sex, tra- sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein are about to be unsealed. The documents are expected to include over 150 names of Epstein's associates. 
Let's bring in News Nation correspondent Laura Ingle, who's standing by waiting for the document release. Laura, what can you tell us? When are we going to see these documents? Well, you know, we're supposed to see it sometime today. We knew that some of the people in these records have filed requests with the court to have their names kept out. And today we learned from the court executive directly that there are now two John or Jane Doe's listed as number 107 and number 110 who were granted that special condition, but only until January 26. Second, when they must supply documents showing the court why they feel they are in danger if their names come out. So the court has released an order today that the unsealing of documents and records, which will contain names of those who associated with Jeffrey Epstein or Newham, but who are not criminally charged, will come at some point today. We're still waiting. Everyone here in the newsroom is hitting refresh on that court website. Uh, they've told us this will come on a rolling basis, meaning we will not get all of the documents at once. Now, these names could be associates, employees, accusers, anyone within the orbit of Epstein and his now convicted girlfriend, Jelaine Maxwell. There are some names that are out there, and the bombshells will be any names we may not have even considered. Once the documents are posted, we are expected to see, as you mentioned, you know, between 150 and 200 names, including some of the accusers, possibly prominent business people, politicians. And then we were looking through the Associated Press, and the Associated Press is saying that we could be hearing the names of a journalist, a prosecutor, a detective. These are all people who were interviewed uh, during a defamation lawsuit involving Maxwell and an accuser, Virginia Jufre. Now, we will wait and keep hitting refresh and let you know as soon as those documents come out and get you some of those names as everybody wants to know who they are. All right, Laura, thank you and your team for standing by. You know you, you, we know that you will be ready when the time comes. Okay, yes, coming up, you. Israel on alert. The country braces for new attacks after it's accused of killing a top Hamas leader in Beirut. Will it lead to a wider conflict in the Middle East? We're live from Tel Aviv. And countdown to Iowa. The nation's first caucus is just 12 days away, with former President Trump still leading the way. But is he getting nervous? about Nikki Haley. We'll break it down when The Hill continues. The ladies of Designing Women call Antenna TV home. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. I love it. Whoever said there's no such thing as a silly question clearly never watched Designing Women. Who is this pig you're carrying on with? Where was your underwear? What the heck are you talking about? Catch Designing Women on the network that makes you laugh all day and all night. Every child deserves the best teachers, facilities, and academic programs to set them up for success. At Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania, we make that a reality for children from qualifying families who are looking for greater opportunities. Milton Hershey School enrolls students from pre-K through 12th grade from across the United States to live and learn on a beautiful state-of-the-art campus with all costs covered. Are you looking to set your child up for success or know a child who could benefit from Milton Hershey School? Learn more at mhskids.org admissions. Ruins Surfers handled more than 25,000 injury cases in Central Florida. All with no fear costs unless we win. So how have we stayed in business for over 40 years? Simple. We gotta win. Call Ruins Zephra. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. VA provides free or low-cost health care to eligible veterans and covers everything. From preventative to specialty care, no one knows veterans better. Sign up at VA.gov 
Call 1-800-MY-VA-411 or visit your nearest VA medical center. Come see why 90% of patients say they trust VA for their health care. This is Allie Bradley. Get my podcast, Bradley on the Border, at NewsNationNow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Many Americans have missed regular dental care in the past few years. It's important to see a dentist twice a year to identify any problems early. Taking care of your oral health helps overall health. Brushing at least twice a day with fluoride toothpaste and flossing daily can help prevent oral health problems. For more information, visit hrsa.gov oral health. At Susan G. Komen, we believe that ending breast cancer needs all of us working together. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to honor the loved one you've just lost, we have a place for you here. Because of you, we're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Visit Komen.org and be a part of our Susan G. Komen community today. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. Because dancing makes me happy. I get to entertain people, and nothing makes me feel more like me. P.I., a defect of the immune system, affects millions of children. Early and accurate diagnosis and treatment give children like Olivia a chance to achieve their dreams. It takes a great team to put on a show. It also takes a great team of caring people to keep a dream alive. And now my dreams are coming true. For more information, visit the Jeffrey Modell Foundation at infoforpi.org. Welcome back to The Hill. It's hard to see how tensions could get any higher in the Middle East, but two attacks in the last 24 hours have the region even more on edge. Israel is on high alert as all signs point to its role in the killing of a senior Hamas official in a strike in Lebanon. This as another attack, this one inside Iran itself, leaves more than 100 dead as they gathered for a ceremony for the late Iranian general Qasem Soleimani. Let's head straight to Tel Aviv now, where News Nation correspondent Robert Sherman is standing by with the details. Robert. Hey there, Mike. And starting off with that incident that happened in Lebanon, you have both Hamas and Hezbollah pointing the finger at the Israelis, saying that it was an Israeli drone strike. At the very least, in the public sphere, the Israelis neither confirming nor denying their involvement in all of that. But what we do know for a fact is that a senior Hamas official was killed in that blast. That would be Saleh al-Aruri, who was uh, one of the most prominent Hamas officials that we've seen killed ever since that October 7th attack. Hezbollah's leader, Hassan Nasrallah, has uh, gave a very highly anticipated speech today in which he said that this is something in which Hezbollah will not be remaining silent on. They have in the past threatened fierce retaliation for any attacks that are carried out on Lebanese soil. And to be clear, ever since October 7th, we have seen pretty consistent attacks coming from Hezbollah towards northern Israel, rocket strikes, aerial targets entering Israeli airspace. That continued today. The Israelis responding with airstrikes of their own on southern Lebanese soil, uh, which you're seeing on your screen right here. So that's what happened in Lebanon. And then you had this news coming out of Iran today in Kerman. On the four-year anniversary of Qassam Soleimani's assassination, you had a pair of explosions taking place in that city. Uh, state media reporting that there were over 100 people that were killed as a result. U.S. officials saying there's no indication that the Israelis were involved in this 
But still, Mike, it underscores the fact that there is a lot of tension in the Middle East, and it seems, as you pointed out, inexplicably, that tension seems to boil more and more on a daily basis. You've got yeah. a lot of people here watching these next few days very intently. Mike. Okay, Robert Sherman, thank you. Back at your post in Tel Aviv, we appreciate that report. Okay, joining us now for more insight on the situation in the Middle East is Ali Vaez. He's the Iran Project Director at the International Crisis Group. He's also a former United Nations official. Ali, in the wake of those explosions in Iran, an Iranian warship entered the Red Sea and the attack on Lebanon, just to name a few incidents, how close are we? I mean, this is the big concern, right? Uh, these continued attacks from Hezbollah into Israel and now this attack from Israel into the heart of Beirut. How close are we to uh, a widening of this war, to a multi-front war for Israel? We're getting closer and closer, Mike. The risks are rising by the day. Um, now we have had a series of attacks. Uh, one, as you mentioned, uh, in Lebanon targeting a senior Hamas leader. Uh, and uh, uh, the one that happened today in Iran, uh, uh, the terrorist attack in the province of Kerman, uh, and also the one uh, before these two, uh, which targeted a senior uh, Revolutionary Guards commander in Syria, General Mousavi, all of these together could be part of a campaign of maximum provocation uh, that could let Iran uh, and its allies uh, in the region to commit a kind of mistake that would expand the war. That might right. be one explanation of what's happening, but uh, actually what happened in Iran today could also very well be an ISIS attack and has nothing to do with Israel. That, there's also that possibility. Right. There are no shortage of people within Iran and around Iran that would uh, have some, have a, a grudge, let's say, uh, against the Iranian regime. But let me ask you about Hezbollah specifically. I mean, Hamas is one thing. Hezbollah, from my understanding, is militarily uh, more powerful, has more weapons at its disposal uh, with which to attack Israel. Uh, you know, at, at that point, you start to think about what is the U.S. role here? Because remember, in the wake of October 7th, the U.S. sent warships uh, to deter Hezbollah into uh, the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. Absolutely. I, I think both sides are engaged in a game of deterrence, which at the end of the day is a psychological game. Uh, Iranians, I think, and their allies right now, given the hits that they have suffered uh, over the past week specifically, uh, and especially if Israel is indeed the culprit uh, behind the attacks in Iran today, uh, they probably feel the urge of uh, trying to do something to restore deterrence. And that's where you have an increased risk of mistake or miscalculation that could result in tensions spiraling out of control, regardless of whether the U.S. has uh, two carrier groups in the Red Sea and, and the Mediterranean or not. Because at the end of the day, uh, for Iran and its allies, signaling weakness is much more dangerous uh, than the potential risk of entering into a conflict with, with the U.S. Uh, and the other way around, in, in the sense that, you know, we've had now a coalition a maritime coalition in the Persian Gulf. The U.S. has now put together a mar maritime coalition in the Red Sea to deter the Houthis in Yemen from targeting shipping uh, in, in open seas. And it hasn't worked so far. So it, it's a very, very dangerous game on both sides. And we're really at the mercy of a single miscalculation, given the wide geographical zone in which this is happening and the number yeah. of actors involved, both state and non-state actors. Is there an exit ramp? For the, for the, for, to, to avoid a conflict between the United States and Iran here? I mean, what has to happen? The, you mentioned the Houthis, the Hamas, Hezbollah, all proxies 
uh, of Iran, all sort of threatening, harassing American interests, whether they be commercial vessels in the Red Sea uh, or warships in the Red Sea uh, or America's, one of America's closest allies, Israel? Well, Mike, I think the only way to try to avoid those risks is to bring this conflict in Gaza to an end. Uh, the more this conflict is prolonged, the more and the higher the risks of, uh, again, a mistake or a provocation that could result in a regional conflagration that nobody actually wants. But throughout history, we've had a lot of episodes, uh, 1914, the First World War being a, a clear example of that, that none of the key actors wanted a major conflict, but they ended up in one. Uh, despite their their desires. And and right now, let me add another complicated factor here, which is the fact that Iran's nuclear program is now closer than ever to the verge of weaponization. Uh, And and so if at some point the Iranians decide that the regional deterrence has suffered, uh, they might very well decide to cross the Rubicon and develop nuclear weapons, which would be disastrous for the region, the U.S. and Israel. Yeah, then they've accelerated their production of enriched uranium, which is very concerning, to say the least. Okay, Ali Vaez, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for your insights today. Okay, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and at least four of her colleagues on the Intelligence Committee in the United States Senate are planning to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel this week. Gillibrand says she has two goals for the trip. First, find out how much of a threat Hamas still is and learn what will take to what it will take to eventually end the war panel. Uh, will this move the needle? I mean, we have another group of senators. These on the Intelligence Committee. What are they going to learn when they're on the ground that they have, they can't learn just from watching the Hill on News Nation? For I think example. we can tell Senator Gillibrand that Hamas is still a threat. Yeah, I think it would appear. All agree yeah. on that, but in my opinion, obviously these countries are bringing in the U.S. We're hip to hip with Israel on this. And so I think that when they come back next week, we're going to have to decouple the um, funding between Ukraine, the border and Israel. And we're going to have to move forward with Israel money. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of decoupling the Israel money in the House, they voted out. It was tied to defunding IRS. Yeah. And they're going to have to. I mean, they're going to have to. Where are the politics on this? Well, it's a couple of different things on that, on that specific yeah. bill. There's a group of folks who just don't like the fact the IRS got a lot more money because they feel like the IRS has been weaponized against conservatives going back to the Obama administration. Then there's another group of them, and I would be in this group, that says, okay, listen, if we're going to do this, that's fine. Let's pay for it. Let's not yeah, borrow okay. it to do it. Let's go find someplace where we don't need this money and spend it someplace else where we need it more. And I think there's a combination. I, you look at what's coming up. Aid to Israel, southern border, Taiwan. Uh, Order? Well, yeah. What, what am I forgetting here? Ukraine. I mean, the government's going to shut down yeah. after January 19th, part of it. February 2nd, another deadline. It's going to be a business. And you got to you just Oh, and we have some court dates and political uh, primaries. And All right. <laughs> and you just passed $34 trillion in debt. Right. Just right. And, and Congress, is out, this week. And Congress <laughs> is out this week. What do you know? Well, okay, coming up. A clash <laughs> on the campaign trail. Nikki Haley counterpunches former uh, President Trump in what may be her harshest attack yet on the former president, what she said, and what's fueling the dust up with the Iowa caucuses just around the corner. Welcome back. Less than two weeks until the Iowa caucuses and the tw- and 20 days until the New Hampshire primary. Where has the time gone? Former President Donald Trump so far dominating his GOP rivals in polls. But is Team Trump getting worried? Here's an ad running in New Hampshire from a super PAC supporting Trump and attacking Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley promised. I will not 
Not now. Not ever. Support raising the gas tax. Really? Not now. Not ever. Just 24 months later, high tax Haley flipped. Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents. Okay, the former South Carolina governor not taking it sitting down, but she's hitting back. And I see the commercials that you see. And I've noticed that President Trump has given me some attention. And I appreciate that because that means he sees what we're seeing. But in his commercials and in his temper tantrums, every single thing that he said has been a lie. Okay, it is on. How about that? Somebody's feeling the heat. All right, first of all, from the Palmetto State, we have Mick, yeah. Mick Mulvaney for a fact check on the whole gas tax guess, thing. I, and she, this is my governor. I live in the state. Yeah. I can tell you Nikki Haley did not raise the gas tax. What oh. she talked about doing was a swap, okay, and said, look, okay, if we raise the gas tax, well, I'll support raising the gas tax if we reduce income taxes yeah. because that will help draw people and businesses into our state. Uh-huh. That's the kind of discussion you want people to have. That ad makes it look like she raised taxes, which she did not, by yeah. the way. The current governor did, not Nikki Haley. But that's the kind of stuff that... It drives us nuts as politicians because they, it's got a little tiny uh-huh. piece, a little of the kernel truth. of truth, exactly, and it's yeah. stretched out to where it's not technically a lie, and you can't sue anybody. All right, else. so she's right; it is a lie. It's absolutely a lie. Wow, absolutely a lie. All right, so what do we think? And, I, mean, I think DeSantis tried to do something similar to this, and they actually had to pull. That's when they started fighting with his super PAC, uh-huh. and they had to pull. Yeah. It was the same type of message. But I think most importantly, the news coming out today is that she just announced her campaign announced that they raised twenty four million dollars in the fourth quarter, which is really significant. I think DeSantis raised $20 million in his highest quarter, not this last quarter, but in his highest quarter. But um, And most importantly, she has almost $15 million cash on hand, which is yeah. a lot of money after her ad buys that she did significantly in Iowa and in New Hampshire. What I'm struck by, Mike, is the tone of the ad. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it was it, it's the super PAC. It's not the Trump campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And this attack on a gas tax hitting in this way is clearly designed to be this sort of approach that hits independents or or leaners in a, in a much more disciplined kind of political way. If this is Trump himself, yeah. the attack would be much more personal, much more visceral. I think Haley actually might prefer the visceral attack because this one's sort of gets you in this conventional political place. It's harder for her to climb. Okay, let's, let's have a look at the, the latest Decision Desk HQ uh, polling average from New Hampshire. The, pres- the former president, still ahead, he's under 50 percent, uh, Nikki Haley. Here down the stretch we come. She's up at 27%. Chris Christie, whose bread and butter is attacking Donald Trump, uh, at 11%. Ron DeSantis, 8%. So, yeah. I think the most important thing, sorry, I'm just going to jump Yeah, go right ahead, The Ashley. most important thing here is that if you, if you take Christie's and Ron DeSantis' numbers, you know. Yeah, but Ron, Matt, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis' voters are not going to. That's yeah, fair, but they may not necessarily. But. But, and they're the not necessarily He's not on there at his 4 or 5%, yeah. and 100% of them are going, because I do the same thing, 100% of the Ramaswamy voters are going to Trump, so you sort of play this, what if it's a two-person race? Yeah. It looks like Trump is still above 50%. Is he DeSantis? feeling the heat? Is the Trump campaign feeling the heat from well, Nikki listen, Haley? Clo- closing the gap if here. If there's one person you have to worry about, it's Nikki Haley. And I think Democrats are a little worried about Nikki Haley. I, you know, they definitely want Trump to win. Right. Look at the polls. Haley's doing double digits against, right. against Biden. But listen, this is Nikki Haley doing a Trump. She's doing the counterpunch. He attacked her, the super PAC attacked her, and, and she's saying it's a lie. And finally, if it is on, the gloves are off, and if she can come within uh, single digits in yeah. New Hampshire, 
You never know. Bob, how much of New Hampshire is influenced, though, by the fact that independents can vote? Right. She's attacking a Very lot good harder in New Hampshire yeah. than she is and in Iowa. And Donald Trump had pointed that out in his last speech. Incidentally, Donald sure. Trump has four events coming up in Iowa mm. this weekend where he's up by a much more comfortable margin. But four, two on Friday, two on Saturday. Ashley mentioned $24 million in the, in the fourth quarter for, uh, for Nikki Haley. Dan, is that, that, that's a big number. It's a big number, and I think she'll use that to great effect probably in, in New Hampshire, and that's her best case at the moment to, to get this in within single digits or a couple touchdowns at least, right? But the problem I think I have with this whole race is he's going to win Iowa by 30, 30. or 40 or yeah. 50, pro- probably 30 or 40 right. at the end of the day. And then if Haley does make it a game in New Hampshire, that will be a, a very big news cycle, and we'll say what's happening here. But you get past South Carolina, and then all of a sudden it's all winner-take-all stuff on Super no, Tuesday. Right. But you skip South, South Carolina, right, right. where everybody assumes Nikki's going to do well. Yeah, convinced it's Tom Harkin effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so coming up, should New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez step down? He's now accused of taking bribes in order to help yet another foreign government. The new accusations against the Democrat. That's coming up next here on The Hill. This can now be added to New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez's list of alleged illicit gifts. As the former Foreign Relations Committee chairman is facing even more charges now. The latest indictment says he accepted watches costing nearly $10,000 to $24,000 in exchange for promoting Qatari interests here in the United States. Menendez, back in October, pleaded not guilty to charges of acting as a foreign agent. That time, it was for the country of Egypt. He remains defiant after calls for his resignation. Okay, panel, uh, Bob Menendez, uh, Bob Cusack, how does, he, how does he stick around? How does he last? Uh, I think he can last until the end of the year. Really? That's his term. The end uh, of the, well, 24. He's got to decide whether he's going to run for re-election. Yeah. Even if he does run for re-election, polls show he would get trounced. So this is a really awkward issue for Chuck Schumer right now. And, and it's going to be probably for a while. And he's catching fire from even fellow Democrats. Here's John Fetterman, who's uh, turning out to be really something in terms of what he's willing to say. He says, <laughs> uh, now accused of selling his honor in our nation of our nation and our nation for $24,000 uh, $24, watch. Accused as a foreign agent for two nations. How much more before we finally expel, expel? Senator Menendez, can you even do that in the Senate? I mean, Cory sure. Booker has even uh, been critical. House Republicans did it to George Santos. Each, yeah. each. The only reason that the House Republicans are not impeaching Robert Menendez is that they can't. Okay, <laughs> every that the House makes its own rules on who's there. The Senate makes its rules on who's there. So the yeah. only way they can expel him is the Senate to vote him out. But I just don't understand why they just don't go to him and say, "Please leave." I don't know what they gain. Maybe they have. Well, yeah, have, I mean, I mean, it's up to him, him, right? They have, and he's just like, "Nope." They're going to keep well, the seat. But I mean, we we assumed the issue was Menendez holding the seat as leverage with the prosecutors for a better deal. Right. Yes, but right. I think the point that you made, Bob, is the prosecutors know he's toast. Yeah. He's going to lose to Andy Kim by, by 60 points in a primary, so that's not much leverage, and I think he'll have to confront that by the end of the year, and he should go. So is it just ego? Is that, the, is that all that I this is? Uh, I'm going to put a different man. take before you guys. Re- okay. Uh-huh. Remember this happened to him before, and he won, and I just, you right. know, not exactly this many charges, but I just wonder if he thinks he can the win department, the, the Biden administration, Department of Justice, is investigating a sitting Democratic senator? Is this the weaponization of the Justice you Department <laughs> against a sitting Democratic senator? I mean, does that undercut the argument? I mean, they've got a whole committee on, on the House side of weaponizing the Department of Justice against Republicans, but this is, seems more even-handed. This is. There's evidence. They're going after him. They're, they're not holding back. There's two different cases now, two different charges in two different countries. I think it shows there's an even-handed Department of Justice that operates independently of politics. Okay, we should point out that uh, Menendez's lawyer did put out a statement. He calls it a string 
of baseless assumptions and bizarre conjectures. Uh, They're turning this into a persecution, not a prosecution, uh, says the lawyer for Senator Menendez, and he still is a senator. Okay, joining us now to discuss this is Elizabeth Vargas. Elizabeth, what do you make of the New Jersey senior senator from New Jersey, Bob Menendez, and his willingness or his desire or his reluctance to step down anyway? I think the drumbeat is growing louder and will only grow louder following the revelations and the uh, the superseding indictment that was filed yesterday. I mean, now we're talking not just Egypt, but Qatar. And you guys raised a really important point there. Uh, I, I, I would be curious to know what kind of internal pressure there is right now from Senator Sh- Senate Majority Leader Schumer and, and other Democrats. We obviously know Fetterman is saying, out of here, you need to be out of here now. Uh, but, you know, he still sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. It, it seems untenable to me that he could be facing charges this serious now yeah. involving being a foreign agent uh, for not one but two countries uh, and still have access to the kind of intelligence that he does have access to. So I think the drumbeat's yeah. going to grow louder. He was actually chairman. He's a very powerful chairman of that committee until he had to step he aside. Was, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. Elizabeth, you are on in approximately, by my count, uh, seven minutes and 30 seconds. What oh, you we better get ready tonight? then. Uh, we've got a lot coming up. Very full show. We're going to start, obviously, in Iran. That's a tinderbox over there with the huge uh, terrorist attack that happened there. Uh, vows of revenge already from the Iranian leadership. But we're also going to talk about that, that plane uh, explosion, uh, the crash of two jets uh, in Japan. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The intercom went out. Uh, the, one of the emergency exits didn't work. The emergency chutes were malfunctioning, and yet every single person on board managed to survive. I don't know if you guys all know this, but there's you know people who study disaster say there's an 80-10-10 rule in any disaster. 10% of the people act like idiots and do the exact wrong thing. 10% no. take control and lead, and 80% freeze and wait to be led. In this case, uh. the flight attendants did their job and did it well. It's unbelievable. We're going to go go through with an expert on what happened. Right. Uh, and what you can do to protect yourself should you ever, God forbid, right. find and, yourself. And anytime you hear about a disaster like that or a situation like that, you wonder how you would react, right? Okay, Elizabeth, thank you. Of course. Yeah, I, you mean can watch that, I, I hope I'm not the 10% acting badly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> losing your head. Yeah. All right. You can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports at 6 p.m., and that's probably in about uh, five minutes and 30 seconds at this point. Thanks, Elizabeth. Okay, coming up, he resigned as Speaker of the House. So what's Kevin McCarthy up to now? It's something you might dread yourself. Could it be worse? That's next on the Hill. A staff shakeup on Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign team. The independent presidential candidate joins Dan one-on-one to talk about how it will impact his bid for the White House. Tonight at 9, 8 central, only on News Nation. All right, did you see this? Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reveals what he's been up to since leaving the House. McCarthy went on X saying, quote, There's been a lot of speculation about what I'm going to do next. I'm ready to end the rumors. I'm on jury duty. Okay, then. <laughs> Panel, it looks like the news uh, about Kevin McCarthy's next gig. I wonder how long he's going to sit. But I guess it's, uh, if you're Kevin McCarthy, it's nice to sit in judgment of somebody else every once in a while, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. well, I said before we got I'd rather deal with jury duty than Matt Gates any time of the day. So, I mean, this is a good thing. And who better to deal with a hung jury than then? <laughs> hey, now. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, 16 ballots? <laughs> yeah. Right. I just like the fact he went back to his hometown and is doing the stuff that ordinary... Is it in Bakersfield? I, I don't think even know that. That's the only place you get called. It's yeah. his county. It's yeah. some county I've heard in California. I like when politicians go back and be normal people afterwards. Sort of like me being on television. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> you're yeah. so normal. That's Let's right. not jump to any conclusions. All right. Thank you very much, folks. Thank you, panelists. Thanks for watching The Hill on News Nation. Set your DVR to watch us at 5 p.m. Eastern. We will be back tomorrow, and that is a promise. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. Good evening and happy new year to everybody. Welcome to News Nation Studios in New York. I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and boy, do we have a lot of news to bring to you this evening. So let's start. Tonight, the latest on the list. Would you 